0: This month's Where Did The Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Billuminati, Alison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in T-Berg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible.
1: Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did The Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at com. Now here is your host, Soraya.
0: Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, tonight I have returning Mr. Travis Watson. Hello, Travis. Yep, I'm
1: back. <laughs> I I was looking back through my my emails for all the times that I've I've corresponded back and forth with you, uh, you know, getting ready to come on the show. Looks like I've been on like four or five times. Yep, yes you have,
0: and we've done multiple parts Um, for most of your books. I don't know I don't know how this one's going to go. We'll have to see.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. This one was pretty concise. Um, It's like I was saying before I uh, before we started the recording. um, This book is probably the most difficult one I've written and not because, uh, I wasn't interested in the topic or, or anything like that, but because there were so many rabbit holes I wanted to go down. (laughs) And, you know, as you know, having read all of my books at this point, um, you know, my goal when I do one of these things is to, uh, to write a, a, fairly concise, Overview of the topic and then provide people with a bunch of bibliography stuff that if they're interested in certain things, they can go and look it up, right? They can they can go and do further research. That's kind of my goal. It was really, really hard with this uh with this book because when I got researching poltergeist, um, I mean, my goodness, you have uh, well, you have all of the years of, of psychical research. You know, from yeah. all the way back into the Victorian times, you know, uh, plus the you know modern the the take of modern parapsychologists, you know, plus all of my you know my particular animistic leanings, which come oozing out all throughout this book, yeah. You know, and then you have Sasquatch research on top of all of that, yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was very difficult for me to put this into a. Uh, into a concise format, and and you know sometimes I look at the book and I'm like, oh my god, I was too concise. I should have written more. And other times I, I'm like, ah, no, if I'd written any more, it would have turned into a, you know, two volume set. Yeah, it would be a it would be a Joshua
0: Cutchin <laughs> <So>, book.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, <laughs> it, it would have turned into you know, it would have turned into a two volume yeah, set, like. Yeah. Uh, you know, ecology, like of, ecology or of soul, or, or like uh, you know, uh, where the footprints end in Tim's book about Sasquatch. You yep. know, um, the you know where the footprints end. Yeah, you know, it would have turned into that. Um, so, you know, it, I have you to thank for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you're you know, welcome for for those who, yeah, you're you're welcome for those of you who are listening who may not know. Um, the impetus for this book, "The Forest Poltergeist," actually came from Soraya, um, who made the comment on more than one occasion that if you took all the stuff that people are reporting out in the wilderness and you put it in a house, it'd be a poltergeist case. Yeah, and I heard him say this on a—I heard him say this on Word of the Road go any number of times. And I was like, you know, he's right. And I got thinking about. You know, well, how would I approach that? And the next thing you know, um, I'm writing a book about it, um, which happens to me all the time. But um, (laughs) so, you know, this book was—it was a challenge uh, because there is so much material um, that could have been included in it, and I hope that I've represented things. Uh, you know, in a way that will pique people's interest and still, you know, provided them with the resources to go on and do further research if they're interested in, in a particular topic. I think you um, did. It's also, yeah, yeah, it's it's also different from the standpoint that, you know, most of my other books have been, okay, we're going to talk about Phantom Black Dogs and here's a story about Phantom Black Dogs. And here's a story about Phantom Black Dogs. And here's a, yeah. Or we're going to talk about, uh, you know, monsters, mysteries in Canada, or we're going to talk about Sasquatch in Canada or, you know, any of those kinds of things. There's lots and lots of cases to talk about. Um, and I could have done, taken a similar approach with this book, but this one's more of a think piece um, because, you know, the topic is, is you know, it lends itself to, to case work, certainly. But you have this situation where as I said, again, if I'd gotten into all the cases that I could have quoted from, you know, for all of these different things, um, it would have been a two-volume set. It yeah, would have been, yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands of words long because there's just so much material there. Um, so the challenge really for this one was was being concise and, uh, and, and doing uh, – trying to do – the topic, some service, um, while at the same time, you know, uh, putting it into a book that's, you know, easily readable in, you know, a few sittings. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was quite the challenge. And, um, uh, for got, those of you who oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, I think you did a good job with it. Honestly, you kind of covered oh, all the main you. points. You gave some great examples without it getting bogged down.
1: Yeah. And, and that was my worry. You know, it's like, I know that I love the minutiae, you know. So I can sit down and read one of Joshua's books and go, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. But I know that there are a lot of people who are like, ah, get to the point, you know, <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Or you made your point 20 pages ago. Now quit talking about this and talk about something else now. Um, you know, so I, I try to be the guy who appeals to those readers. Um, just to back up for a minute, for those of you who wonder what the heck we're talking about, (laughs) uh, the name of the book is the forest poltergeist. Um, which again is uh, is a nod to Soraya and Tim Renner and Joshua Cutchin and uh, all the all the people who believe that you know there's something more to this whole Sasquatch thing than just uh, you know a, a, a large bipedal primate wandering in the in the forests of North America and, and throughout the world. Um, my particular interest in this book was what. BFRO calls a Class B encounter. In other words, people have an experience out in the forest, um, uh, but they don't actually see anything. You know, they may hear uh, branches snapping or bipedal footsteps. They may hear, uh, uh, they may have stones thrown at them. Um, they may have, uh, you know, may come across strange stones you know, structures made out of trees and those kinds of things that they, they have all of these things that Sasquatch researchers are saying, oh, well, if you see these things, there are Sasquatch in the area. Right. And as Soraya's pointed out, if you take a lot of that stuff and you put it in somebody's house, you'd have a poltergeist case. And yeah. I got to thinking about that. And I thought, well, I don't know a whole lot about poltergeists, so I'm going to find out something about poltergeist. And what I discovered during the course of this book is that there is a very distinct uh, paranormal aspect to, or could be, a very distinct paranormal aspect to a lot of these Class B encounters where people aren't seeing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I have said repeatedly on any number of occasions that I don't discount the idea that there could be an unknown critter wandering around out in the woods somewhere. Right. But when you take the massive evidence that you have out there, uh, you know, Class B encounters to the classic Class B encounters, or the stones thrown, and all that sort of thing, you take those and you look at the distribution of these things all throughout, you know, the United States and Canada. It's like there's just no way <laughs> that a, that a rare uh, bipedal primate could be all of these different places. Doing all this stuff to all these different people. There's got to be something, to my mind, anyway. There has to be something more going on <coughs> than you know, the world's hide and seek champion um, hmm. wandering around out in the woods. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, that that was kind of my jumping off point for the book.
0: And and for me, I think this idea occurred to me when I was reading Willette's book Illuminations. And I always forget his first name um where he was comparing mass uh UFO sightings to poltergeist events. Mm-hmm. And then something else I came across something else and suddenly I went, "Wait a minute. This also works for Bigfoot." Except mm-hmm. not not as mass events but just as the the wilderness sort of thing. And the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, "Yep. It's just that poltergeist mimic partially to your expectations because the biggest argument against it is well, you know, we're hearing what sounds like an ape, for instance whereas a poltergeist may make sounds like a ghost it's like yeah because that's what you're expecting it to sound like
1: yeah but here's the fun thing about that is if you start to do your research really start to dig into poltergeist cases you know and again to back up for for listeners who are maybe not familiar with uh, the the idea of the poltergeist poltergeist is a german word that literally means noisy ghost yeah. Um, and it is a particular kind of uh, – we'll call it a haunting for want of a better word. It's a particular type of haunting th- that is marked with uh, very strong uh, kinetic activity you know, where there are things moving around and uh, uh, things manifesting, literally apporting into the, into the, uh, into the house and, and all that sort of thing. So um, if you start to look at poltergeist cases, though, one of the things that you find – is that the poltergeist in its housebound version um, is quite capable of making a number of different noises? Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm not uh, now. See, my problem is that I often get the Enfield case and the Black Monk case that I talk about in the book. Right. confused. She, yeah,
0: that's understandable. Um,
1: now, in one of those, in one of those, and I think it was the Black Monk case, but don't quote me on that. Um, they actually had uh, toward the end of their, their uh, the period that this poltergeist was was in you know around the house uh, actually had sounds that were like barnyard animals. Yeah, um, I think that was the monk in, case in, in the house. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, so we get that kind of thing. Um, I talk about a, um, a a case from the uh, the classic tarot book uh, apparitions. Um, where this fellow sees or or heard, he didn't see anything, but he heard, uh, his front gate open and then he heard footsteps on his footpath and he's standing looking out the window. He doesn't see anything. (laughs) Um, but then he hears this God awful scream, um, that, you know, like literally rocked him back on his, on his heels. Um, interesting thing about that is that his wife was just down the room from him and didn't hear a thing. Yeah. Um, but he hears this terrible, terrible scream. You know, we always hear, you know, Sasquatch out in the woods, you know, this, you know, the thing that, 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 uh, um, kind of distinguishes the Sasquatch sounds that, that people talk about all the time from other sounds is the volume of it. Right. Right. This guy says, Volume. He said, he's saying that, that that this was really really loud, and it, it was so loud that you know again, it kind of set him back on his heels. Um, but nobody else heard it. Uh, as it turned out, this is being a classic ghost story. Uh, as it turned out, this fellow had had words with one of his tenants uh, uh, that afternoon. And apparently this this individual uh, killed themselves that night, and then mm. he had this apparition experience. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so uh, he is very classic ghost story. But, um, you know, so, you know, even with the things that people point to that are like, now that definitely proves that there's a Sasquatch, we find that there actually are, uh, you know, uh, cases in paranormal, and particularly poltergeist lore, that can mimic that. Um, yes. You know, you talk about the tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One, of the, uh, one of the classic uh, Fordian uh, occurrences happened back in the, the 1800s where there something, and nobody's ever figured out what it was, uh, left a you know, long series of tracks in the snow uh, in, in the U.K., um, that everybody said, Oh, it's the devil because it was kind of a hoofed uh, looking uh, print. And the interesting thing about it was this thing would go along and uh, it would you know come to a house and they'd find the tracks up on the roof and it would go straight across yeah. the roof and then back down. and you know, it just kept going. That's one of my uh, favorite so whatever stories. It was, I love that story. you know, uh, but it's cla- it's a classic forty tale of tracks, something making tracks. There's a poltergeist case in the book. Um, And again, I'm pretty sure this is the Black Monk case because there was a lot of water involved in that one. Um, Toward the end of that particular um, um, series of events, um, the mom came down and found that, uh, came downstairs and found that the carpet that was running down the hallway toward, I think their front door, was saturated with water for some reason, and this had, this kind of thing had been happening throughout the entire case, right? Um, there were puddles of water forming, and you know, uh, just from nowhere, uh, they actually at one point called in the local water board to to look at the the piping in the house because they couldn't figure out where all the water was coming from. It just kept appearing, right? Well, in this case, the the carpet was saturated. And as she stood there, she could see footprints forming in the squishy carpet um, going down large, like human footprints forming in the carpet going down towards the door. Right. Um, so, you know, even if we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the real strong physical evidence that everybody's like, oh, well, you know, we found these tracks and look at this cast and and, you know, there are you know, uh, dermal ridges and all that fun stuff there. there are. Uh, cases throughout Foriana of, of forces that can't be seen, mm-hmm. uh, which we're kind of lumping together as a poltergeist, um, making tracks. You know? um, so, yeah, I mean, and the more I dug into this, the more I came to realize that all of this stuff that we hear about um, in, in Sasquatch lore, you know, when you're talking about the stone throwing and, and uh, you know, all of that kind of thing, all of this stuff is classic poltergeist stuff. Yeah. You know, and even the stuff that isn't, things like tree structures, when you have a force that's capable of, you know, flinging Legos across the room and and lifting heavy furniture and, and doing all these kinds of things, there's no reason why a force like that couldn't actually decide it was going to twist tree branches together too. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Well, you um, know, um, is, yeah. there's a story uh, Tim Renner talked about, and I can't remember if it was on the public show or on the Patreon segment when I went down to Albatwitch, um about uh, someone who had reported a Bigfoot encounter. And he's talking mm-hmm. to the guy, and he, of course, now asks people if anything else weird is going on. And the guy's like, well, I got a ghost. And basically yeah. the, the guy described a ghost that basically had the form of Bigfoot. But he never considered mm-hmm. that possibly being connected because it appeared like a phantom. Mm-hmm. And Tim was just like, yeah, yeah exactly. there's, there's there's your Bigfoot, you know.
1: Uh, I mean, one of the points that I make throughout the book, and one of the points that that we've talked about any number of times in, in the course of our conversations on where did the road go, you know, is is siloing that the siloing effect yeah. that you yeah. see it all throughout the paranormal. You know, Sasquatch researchers do Sasquatch. <clears throat> you know, and You know, ghost hunters hunt ghosts and UFO researchers research UFOs. And, you know, everybody has their own little thing that they're doing. And it's you have to, you know, one of the, the things that I say throughout the book is if I step out of the Sasquatch silo, then I see that X, you know, Yeah, know, it, it's, it, it is a Fortean phenomena. Um, and it, so it, it's something that you have to look at from 10,000 feet sometime and say, wait a minute now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have these things happening in Sasquatch lore. Okay. Um, the classic thing in Sasquatch lore is stone throwing, right? We mm-hmm. hear about this all the time, you know, people getting run out of their campsites by something, some mysterious force throwing rocks at them, right? Right, right. Um we saw this in um I talk about the the Sasquatch attacks episode of um uh, Monster Quest, right. right? Where at the end of at the end of the show, you know, they have something throwing rocks onto the roof and and they're all oh Sasquatch, you know, they're all freaking out about it, right? Um which I thought was kind of funny because you have these scientist guys who are like, we're here to prove that there's a Sasquatch. And then as soon as something happens, they all freak out and hide inside the house. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> um, they have one poor scared cameraman standing out on the front porch with a thermal camera trying to find something, <laughs> which he can't. Um, but they have stones clanking on the roof up there, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you look at that. You know, and of course, so all of the Sasquatch people say, oh, well, stone throwing is a definite sign that there are Sasquatch in the area. It's like, and then if you go to pe- people who've done poltergeist research, you have somebody like Guy Leon uh, Playfair, yeah. who's like, well, you know, so stone throwing is a classic sign of poltergeist right. activity. And, and if you follow those cases and look at them, you know, you know in, the, um, in the Enfield case, you know, they actually had a a, 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 a newspaper photographer who uh, got a Lego in the head. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, he he standing in the wrong place, at the wrong time. Thing came zooming along, and and when uh, Playfair met him a week later, he still had a bruise from this thing, right? Um, so whatever this force is, it's winging things. It didn't have stones available, so it picked up the other other things that were available in the house, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's another story from Playfair that he's uh, talking about a, a uh, poltergeist case that happened in Brazil, where uh, the, uh, a lot of times these, these poltergeist cases have a focus. There's a particular person, usually a young person, um, who's, that the events seem to to really revolve around. Um, in this case, there's been a lot of wild activity in this in this young lady's home. Um, the local spiritist uh, follower, uh, Spiritism is a, a, a sort of a religion that, that originated in Brazil, um, volunteered to take her into his home. So basically, so he could study her, right? Yeah. Um, and they actually kept count of the number of stones that hit the roof of his house while. <laughs> this young lady was was staying with him. There were over the they had like, I forget the exact number, but it's three hundred and something stones that actually Damn. landed on this house during the course of this event, right? Yeah. You know, so poltergeist throw stones too.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <gasps> Fancy that. Well, I think yeah. part of the problem so is So if that, you took that I
0: think part of the problem too is that people look at a poltergeist and they're basically saying, Well, so you're saying Bigfoot's a ghost. And it's like, no, we're saying that poltergeist Is not what we think it is. There's, there's some, this is something not ghost, not Bigfoot, not, but it, it helps create the illusion of these things.
1: Right. And and the point that I make is that what I'm talking about in this book is specifically people who experience disturbances in the wilderness and don't see anything, you know, that's a class B encounter. Okay. They might hear footsteps, they might have stones thrown at them, uh, you know, they might hear tree knocks, you know, that kind of stuff. But they never actually see a Sasquatch. So why does it have to be a bipedal primate? Because you're in the woods. Because you're in the woods, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'm in the woods, therefore Sasquatch.
0: Just like that guy was seeing, you <laughs> um, know, the, basically the Bigfoot form in his house, but they can't be Bigfoot. Bigfoot's
1: not in his house. So it's a yeah, ghost. Bigfoot's outside, right? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, and you it's know, if you extrapolate from Dogman, if you extrapolate from Dogman, you see dog Dogmen outside, but then there's a subset of those cases that Linda Godfrey, you know, was was happy to tell people about, where the dang things appear in people's bedrooms yeah you know? yeah um and i'll bet you that if you went hunting hard enough you could probably find a sasquatch story like that um I, i'm not familiar you know with one having happened but i bet if you looked hard enough you could find one. oh yeah oh almost certainly um, so, yeah. So the the problem that we face in, in dealing with it, it's, uh, you know, I know that this book's probably going to tick off a lot of people who do Sasquatch research. Because they're like, Sasquatch, not a ghost? And I'm not saying Sasquatch is a ghost. I'm not saying that Sasquatch is, is you know, really anything. I put out a number of, of different, uh, you know, beings and 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 forces that could, could actually be responsible for some of the stuff that's happening out in the woods. But I don't ever say, you know, there's no such thing as Sasquatch. Right. Or, right. you know, there's not some bipedal primate out there somewhere. I just don't think that that's all there is. You yeah. Know? And, and I it's, think those— It's like
0: all the people who are— I think those are the go- minority of the cases that would represent an actual uh, ape because it is a very elusive creature, and it's probably in areas that are not populated.
1: At all. Yeah. You know, it's like my point has always been you know, I I live in Canada. You know, um, we have hundreds of thousands of square miles of wilderness that very rarely see a human being. It's entirely possible we could have a population of large bipedal primates wandering around out there, and you know there's plenty of food for them. There's lots of megafauna. There's you know deer and elk and moose and all that kind of stuff, and and all kinds of you know fruits and nuts and berries and all that sort of thing in the in the in the growing season. It's possible. It's entirely possible. But I don't think that's all there is, you know, yeah. because this phenomena has spread to such a point that it is literally everywhere. You know, you have people seeing Sasquatch, you know, on the the Queenie, the, the, uh, the 401, um, you know, as they're driving past St. Catharines, which is yeah. a town of 100,000 people down in a ditch. I mean, this phenomena is literally everywhere, and I don't think that all of those sightings and all of those, and particularly all of these Class B encounters that people are experiencing, some of which are in very populated areas, I don't think those are all, uh, you know, some some large primate right. uh, wandering around out in the woods. Um, that That being would have to be i think this is something that tim renner says too um that being would have to be uh endowed with evolutionary advantages that might as well make it uh, you know like a a marvel superhero yeah (laughs) you know um to be able to avoid detection um for as long as it has let's let's... so you know i I think there's something a lot more mysterious going on out in the woods I, i mean yes certainly i mean I would be stoked if somebody actually bought a Sasquatch gin. I mean, I th- I think that was cool as heck. Brand new species, wow, yep, that's really neat. But it still um, wouldn't explain everything. It does, yeah. It still doesn't explain some of the wacky stories we get about these creatures, um, and a lot of these experiences that people are having in the woods, where they're having stones thrown at them, they're hearing tree knocks, they're hearing vocalizations, they're, you know, they're they're hearing, uh, uh, you know, footsteps. Uh, which is, is another classic poltergeist thing. Um, they're hearing footsteps out, out, you know, around their tents and, and that kind of thing. You know, uh, and you know, the, the 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 tagline is always, "I know what a two-legged creature sounds like," and yeah. that was a two-legged creature. It's like, well, yeah, I'm I'm sure it was. It just may not have been the two-legged creature you were thinking it was. <laughs> well, let,
0: let's uh, let's talk about the Blackstone Gap case. Do you remember this one from Alberta? Bow hunters were camped for the night, and they were cooking dinner. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was a stone throwing case, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to I give had, people. An I haven't really had a chance to go back and review a whole whole lot, but you know, it's it's a very you know it's a very classic example where you know you have uh, you know people who are going out in the woods, you know, and they're camping out. A uh, lot of hunters in Canada, so very much the case that you have people that do go out in the wilderness and spend, you know, some time out there. Um, you know, these guys were going out, they were going bow hunting. Uh, as I recall, they were, they were going to do that like the next morning. Yeah. Um, except that, uh, <laughs> except they had their plans interrupted. <laughs> well, they thought it was um, a
0: bear initially. So they, they yeah. fired a shotgun. So
1: that's. I was going to say. That's the one where they fired at, uh, fired into the air, or fired yeah. at, into the into the woods at. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they heard uh, disturbance in the woods. They thought, oh, must be a bear, right? Because they were up in 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 that kind of country. Um, so they were, you know, they were sitting there and they kept hearing this and they, they were like, okay, what the heck? I think they actually had some stones thrown at one point.
0: There was a were large, like, what the large there? stone, the size of a soccer ball came flying into their camp.
1: Yeah. And then a tree started After getting fired sh- into the woods. Yeah. But, and then yeah. a tree
0: started to shake
1: started shaking yes so yeah so you know and if you look at this from a strictly sasquatch perspective you know then your sasquatch researcher is going to look at this and say oh well you know um there was a sasquatch in the area and they heard it um it was you know thumping around it bush." one of the things that's always puzzled me is you know on the one hand you Have all these reports that say that the Sasquatch is basically the ninja of the forest. Yeah. You know, you don't hear him unless he wants you to. You know, but then you have these experiences like these guys, they're sitting there and they can hear this thing thumping around in the bush, right? Okay. Well, why is the ninja making noise? I, I don't right. understand that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so one of these guys decides he's going to run this this bear, what he thinks is a bear, off, and he, he fires a shotgun. Um, doesn't really. Uh, Give us an idea where uh, he fired the gun, maybe into the air or maybe into the woods. I don't know. But as soon as he does this, I basically sits back down and, and, and this stone the size of a soccer ball comes flying out of the woods and lands right close to the campfire. Um, which was then, if I recall, followed by some other stones. And these guys decided that discretion was a better part of valor and they better get the heck out of there before yeah. one of them got beaten by something that they weren't going to recover from. Yeah, so if you look at this from the typically stat Sasquatch, you know, the Sasquatch researcher um, kind of modality. You know, there was a Sasquatch in the area. You know, the guy fired at it and it provoked the Sasquatch. The Sasquatch retaliated by throwing a stone, mm-hmm. um, or several stones. You know, and, it, you know, basically it was a territorial display and, you know, ran these guys off. Right. Which, OK. You know, I mean, if there was a giant bipedal primate in the area, I could see that happening. Yep. Sure. But if I take my uh, my my lens off of microscope and I expand out uh, into the, you know, the, the higher view, the 10,000 foot level, and I look at other paranormal phenomena, uh, I quickly discover, as I said, that stone throwing is a classic sign of poltergeist activity, right? Yeah. Um, Something that happens in almost all poltergeist cases. If, If it's not stones, then it's things flying through the air, you know, you know, uh, vases and, and, and other doodads and knickknacks flying through the air. I, I, I've always, uh, remember there was a, one of the cases one of the older cases that I looked at where they actually talk about how all the crockery in the house had been broken and they had like three buckets full of broken crockery by the time. This yeah. Thing was yeah. done. Um, you know, it's just classic poltergeist stuff, um, you know, and then you come into the question of, okay, well, what's a poltergeist? And then it gets into, that's where I really got down the rabbit hole yeah. and, and was trying to, uh, well, you know, trying not to, to, to turn <laughs> this book into a two volume set. Also, when you look at
0: poltergeist, you realize that most paranormal phenomena tend to also involve poltergeists, which mm-hmm. leads me to say this stuff has more to do with us
1: than it does,
0: like, yeah. Singular, singularly.
1: Yeah, so you have uh, – there is a very interesting, to my mind, interface between the poltergeist, this noisy spirit, um, and human beings. And in my mind, it's kind of a which came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, yeah. is you – know, because we have these parapsychological theories of of spontaneous PK – uh, RSPK, uh, which is recurrent spontaneous psychokinetic activity. The theory is that there is a person in the home who, for whatever reason, is unable to express their emotions or whatever. You know, It's kind of a, a very psychological sort of thing. And so instead of uh, expressing their themselves outwardly, um, they throw what uh, uh, one of the writers called um, uh, a, a psychic temper tantrum, basically. Right. Um, which, you know, results in this macro PK activity. And that's great, you know, until you start to get to the end stages of a poltergeist case where really weird crap starts to happen, like the Black Monk case where people were seeing this hooded figure uh, walking around out there. That's not a psychokinetic activity. That's an apparition. Yeah. You know, so then it's like, And and one of my theories is that, you know, perhaps in some of these cases, at least, um, you have a focus who, uh, you know, starts to have this sort of spontaneous outbreak of psychokinetic activity around them, but then attracts in other beings that, you know, decide to come and join the party. (laughs) And the next thing you know, you've got apparitions and you've got all kinds of other fun things happening. Yeah, um, But you were ta- talking about this idea that uh, a lot of paranormal phenomena has poltergeist activity wired into it. It's a classic thing that happens in hauntings, right? Yep. It's like most hauntings are like, oh, ooh, you know, there's there's spooky things and cold spots and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff that happens in, in your, your your ghost shows. You know, your fluctuations in electromagnetic activity, and people seeing things and that kind of stuff. But at some point, in some cases, you get activity like people getting pushed. Right. Uh, or or things moving. And in, in, you know, in, how many ghost shows have you watched where, you know, they've got a camera set up and everybody gets all excited because something in the room moves, right? By itself. Chair moves out, you know, candle moves across the table or something like that. That's psychokinetic activity. That is poltergeist activity, classic poltergeist activity. But in a uh, in another um, milieu, basically. Um, right. So right. that, you know, everybody's talking about, whoa, well, it's the ghosts, you know? Well, maybe, you know, uh, we don't know what the human dead are capable <laughs> right. of. Right. You, know? um, you know, if we pay attention to the lore, then the human dead are capable of doing all kinds of interesting things, right? Um, but that's just one, and, and, my, and this is again is my point throughout the whole book, that's just one explanation for a very multifaceted phenomena that yeah, I, can encompass a lot of different things.
0: I, I suspect the energy not only comes from us, but there may be other consciousnesses out there, like wandering bits of consciousness, that when we come in contact with them, like in the woods, they can, they can sort of uh, you know, make themselves appear to us. But they're, mm-hmm. they're going to appear based on our expectations, Like, especially when you get like one-off monster Mm -hmm. encounters, I've always felt like people are encountering something their brains have no way to process. Like it's so (laughs) unique. Yeah, the Rolodex in our brain goes, I don't know. It's scary. I don't know what it is. Because so that makes it scary. What's scary? Well, a monster's scary. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a monster. Here we
1: go. Let's look at this monster. Yeah. Um, you know, class, and this is—I'm going to go outside of the Forest guys for a minute. But in, yeah. in monsters and mysteries in Canada, there's a, a, a story of a uh, in my kind of lake monster section. There's a story of a couple of young young fellows who encountered a, a creature in one of the lakes in British Columbia. I forget which one it was. Um, <laughs> that looked like a creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. You know. So. And you know, they're the only two people that ever saw this thing. yeah, you know, it's yep. like what what is the the frogman guy in the the town in Ohio? You yeah, know? it's yeah. like every once in a while, you get this just one-off weirdness that happens somewhere. And I think um, sometimes and-
0: sometimes when you get a monster flap, you're having one person put the monster archetype on it. And then mm-hmm. when someone else encounters this this bit of you know, weirdness, they're just like, this must be this the monster I or whatever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This must be the monster I heard about. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, When you look at things like Keel's uh, Mothman prophecies, you had all kinds of poltergeist activity yeah. happening yeah. around people who were having UFO experiences. Yep. You know, it's like, oh wait, oh wait, no, no, UFOs must be the aliens, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing uh, happens with
0: people who have near-death experiences.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So poltergeist yeah. activity is one
0: of yeah. those things that ties all this stuff together, but we don't really understand it.
1: Yeah. And so it's it's very you know, it's very puzzling to people. And and I think that uh, what happens is that, you know, if you have a poltergeist encounter in the woods, you know, it gets siloed, you know, people's brains flip to must be Sasquatch, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you have a poltergeist experience in the house, then it must be ghosts. Yep, yep. If you have a poltergeist experience and there's a bright light in the sky, it must be a UFO, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and on and on and on. Um, you know, now this book specifically focuses on the interface between uh, poltergeists and Sasquatch, but uh, you know, I'm sure that you could write uh, very easily a book about poltergeists and UFOs. Or you know any of any of these other kind of interesting you know yeah. Fortean phenomena that, well, that happen. That's sort you of I am
0: wondering. That's sort of where illuminations goes. You know, except he's looking at mass UFO events, right?
1: right. So he,
0: he's saying you know the yeah, these mass wondering- U- He's saying these mass UFO events are being caused by a buildup of PK energy in in, in like say a town or whatever yeah. that then leads to massive sightings. Which is a different sure. way of looking at it, but it's also quite plausible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be PK energy. It could be, uh, you know, just bio, you know, bioelectricity um you know, the, the the earth magnetism or whatever that yeah. builds up in a particular place. Um, you know, I, I think that, that there are, you know, and I'm going to go off the reservation here and not talk about the book for a minute, but, um, you know, you've got all of these uh, sites where people have made giant stone circles, you know, whether yeah. you're talking about Stonehenge or you're talking about some of the medicine wheels up in Wyoming and places like that. Uh, you know, there is a theory that there are, uh, energy lines that connect a lot of this stuff together. Right. And, you know, so you may have a town that's sitting on a nexus of one of the, uh, several of these lines that, you know, ends up having these bizarre experiences. Um, I proposed a theory like that, uh, when I did, uh, mysteries in the mist talking about, uh, the, the events that happened in, uh, uh, in the Mothman prophecies you know, with, uh, with all the different things that happened in, in, in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I mean it's possible you know we don't know <laughs> for sure. that's it we don't know, you know? a lot <laughs> but but that's the fun part about doing this stuff. yeah and it's one of the things that I, uh, that I really want wanted to get across in this book. It's like get out of the silo and go look at other weird crap that happens, you know? It's like there's so much bizarre stuff that happens out there, uh, you know, that, you know, just you have all of these mysteries out there. You know, if you're going to be involved in in a field like this, then you've got to have, in my opinion, anyway, a high tolerance for mystery because you're never going to get an answer. No. No. You know, we can theorize until we're blue in the face, you know, and some of our theories may be correct, you know. Some of them may just be gas, you know yeah, right? I mean? Swamp <laughs> but, gas, in particular. But yeah, you know, yeah, swamp gas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a will o' the wisp. Yeah. It's, it's it's a what do they call it? Foxfire. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, but you know, So I, I wanted people to look at this stuff and say, yeah, okay. So there's this mystery of bipedal primates wandering around in the woods. But there's all of this other mystery that's happening out there too. And does this mystery have some interfaces with with our with our bipedal primate? How does this all work together? Yeah. You know, so I spent a lot of time just kind of I, I wrote several just sort of fictional encounters, <laughs> you know, as by way of explanation of some of the uh, some of the theories that I was putting forward because. You know, I mean, there's so many ways that we can, um, there's so many theories that we can have around these phenomena. Um, there's really no way that you can put them all down in one book. I mean, it's just not plausible. <laughs> no.
0: Although that is kind of what I'm trying to do. Okay. I'm working on a book of alternate theories, but I mean, I'm having a lot of the same problem you were describing with the rabbit hole, you know, like... Mm-hmm. trying to make it presentable as how this stuff is both connected, but there's a lot of different things going on at the same time. And yeah. so you, you have to this kind of separate like it to- out, take one thing, and then like, mm-hmm. okay, now here's the next thing. And then explain it well enough that you can get to a point and be like, do you see how all these things intersect? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and that's that's the hard part is getting people to see how it all intersects. This is why I like to you know like carve a little melon ball out of the out of the hole and, and work on the melon ball for a while. And develop that into a book because otherwise you just get completely overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, because there there's just so much stuff out there. And then, and then if you start to throw in uh you know, I, I talk about in the um, uh in the kind of explanations area, when I start talking about what poltergeists are or what poltergeists could be, um, you know, I, I I go down a rabbit hole where I talk about, you know, Mike Cleland's theory that uh, people who have, uh, you know, these uh, paranormal UFO experiences or Sasquatch experiences or whatever may be actually experiencing a shamanic initiation in some cases, depending on the person. Right. Right. And then I went really down the rabbit hole and I thought, well, you know, one of the things that we find when we study shaman when we study witches and and uh, you know people that, that tend to fall in that kind of category we find a continuing uh, idea of uh, them being accompanied by uh, a spirit animal which is called familiars right um, and I talk about witches and familiars in the book you know, yeah uh, which is probably not going to earn me any points with some people but okay whatever <laughs> So, you know, so here's an idea. What if some of these manifestations that people are encountering out in the woods are the first manifestations of their familiar trying to get in touch with them? And what if their mind actually makes that familiar look like a giant bipedal primate because they don't know how to process it? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, a lot of people would say you're nuts, right? I would say keep an open mind because. People have been having this experience of working with spirit animals in some way, shape, or form for millennia. Yeah. Literally yeah. millennia. Throughout history. You know? So why would you just discount it out of hand because oh well, you know, you're a twenty-first century scientific materialist and that thing just that's that kind of stuff just doesn't happen and it's all hallucinations.
0: Well, those type. I got this for
1: you, buddy. Your your hallucinations are real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that those type of people feel like we've already figured everything out. There's no mystery. Yeah. Every, people are just hallucinating or making it up, and that solves it. <laughs> you know, like it's like or they're high or right.
1: Unfortunately, it's, it's not that simple. One of the it's one of my pet peeves about uh, you know, One of the things that people say almost you hear it a lot. It's like somebody reports a dog man or they report a Sasquatch or they see a UFO or something. One of the first things peep skeptics ask them, so, so how much did you have to drink, man? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, you know, in my younger days, I consumed a lot of alcohol <laughs> and I never, <laughs> ever drank so much that I thought I was looking at a Sasquatch or am- a UFO or anything like that. I, I, the you know, short,
0: the short time in which I did drink, I found that my number of experiences went
1: down. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a central nervous system system depressant. Yeah, um, you know, so in my mind, it 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 depresses all brainwave activity. So if you're having an experience when you're drunk, you must really be having <laughs> exactly. <experience. laughs> um. You so know, let's let's um,
0: let's look at from the book. Uh, you talk about Jeff Meldrum now. Jeff Meldrum's one of the big proponents of a flesh and blood s- Sasquatch. He's uh sure, uh sure. And for for good reason. Um, he uh, what is and I he? I have
1: I have go ahead.
0: What what is he? He's a uh oh he has degrees yeah, in he's zoology, a
1: PhD, and zoology, and and physical anthropology, and and all kinds of other fun stuff. I mean, you know, if you're going to listen to a guy talk about there being a physical bipedal primate, Jeff Meldrum is the guy to talk to, and and his, his. I mean, this is a guy who literally wrote the book on bipedal <laughs> locomotion. Yeah, you know, I mean, he he literally that was that's what his doctoral dissertation and his uh, his subsequent work has been about, and his analysis of um, you know these track casts and and, and big footprints, You know, I mean. I think he makes a, and, you know, his book of, you know, the Sasquatch legend meets science is one of the classics in the Sasquatch field. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I have great respect for this man. And um, He's he, obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this.
0: <laughs> and just because he's, he can verify that, you know, this was not a hoax, which is great. You know, this thing has dermal ridges. This is not saying someone would put into a hoax doesn't mean it's necessarily a flesh-and-blood animal as much as something trying to trick people, uh, sort of a trickster type of a thing. But you put a list in here of four of the most common things that happen during Class B uh, uh, Bigfoot encounters, according to Dr. Meldrum, mm-hmm. which is stone-throwing, right. tree-shaking, right. wood-knocking, and mm-hmm. a skunky scent. Yep. And all of these yep. match up to all poltergeists. All of these
1: things. yes. You know, uh, you know the stone-throwing we've talked about, um rapping sounds are a classic uh, you know i mean anybody who who knows anything about the history of spiritualism knows yeah. that the 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 very first manifestation to the fox sisters was a rapping noise right Yeah. it's a, a knocking sound in, in on wood um i talk about uh, the luthold case in um in switzerland where uh one of the poltergeist activities that happened was that they actually heard something knocking on the door and when they opened the door to see who was there, there was nothing there, but a piece of wood fell to the ground right outside yeah, the door.
0: That's So weird. whatever
1: this force was, was using a piece of wood to wrap on a door. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so wood knocking, you know, again, definitely something a poltergeist could do, uh, before, um, what were the other two? <laughs> I oh, get excited.
0: Uh, it was uh, so. It was stone throwing, tree shaking, wood knocking, and a skunky scent.
1: Yeah. So tree shaking uh, is just a you know. I mean, we have any number of uh, witness reports and poltergeist cases of poltergeists being able to, uh, for instance, in the Black Monk case, the uh, the poltergeist actually piled furniture on uh, the daughter in, in that particular case, heavy furniture. You know, so this is a force that is capable of moving very heavy objects. So I'm not, you know, I don't have any problem believing that if you put that force out in the woods, it could shake trees without any difficulty whatsoever. Or it could take them and bend them into little twisty ties and, and that kind of stuff. You know, so, you know, again... Um, the poltergeist is very capable of doing just about anything that it, it is capable of doing. Anything that's been reported of these class B encounters out in in, in Sasquatch in Sasquatch lore. Um, I've I've actually gone through in, in some of the chapters and gone through a list of things that I've you know gathered from Sasquatch research and talked about how you know poltergeists can do these things. Yes, you know, yeah. or they have done these things. You know, it's just not, um, you know, I mean, again, I have great, great respect for Dr. Meldrum and, and I, I think that, um, you know, his work is one of the reasons why I'm not completely, uh, why I'm, why I'm not willing to completely give up on, on a flesh and blood uh, explanation for some of these sightings and, and events. Yeah. Um, cause he does it, he makes a tremendously compelling case, um, in his book. Um, and You know, he obviously has the expertise to be able to talk about these footprints in a very uh, manageable, uh, in a very, um, you know, scientific way. Unfortunately, he doesn't, you know, while he does mention, uh, you know, for instance, native beliefs and so forth, he uses those beliefs as, as a jumping off point. You know, it's like, oh well, look, these primitive people, you know, had this theory, but we we brilliant scientists know that this is actually what's going on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, which is a little condescending in my view, but you know, I, I mean it's it's a very typical kind of of of, of thought. You see it all the time in anthropology, you know, oh, look at these primitive people and their ideas, you know. Anthropologists are starting to get away from that a little bit, but yeah, there's are. still you know, a lot of that kind of, of thinking going on in academia. Um, so, you know, again, Dr. Meldrum is one of the reasons why I'm not completely uh, willing to give up on there being some kind of a flesh and blood creature out there. But again, Dr. Meldrum cannot explain how a set of these wonderful Sasquatch footprints that everybody's so excited about can walk out into the middle of a cornfield and disappear.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or how you can get you just know? a left footprint and no right footprint.
1: Yeah. You get one <laughs> footprint in the middle of, the, you know, I mean, if you know anything about tracking um, and, you know, I'm not an expert tracker, but I have taken man tracking classes in the past. Um when I was doing search and rescue stuff, uh, you know, you you get what you call track traps. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, material that uh, provides a good uh, base for uh, footprints to be made. Yeah. And when you see these, uh, you know, these Sasquatch uh, track trails, they're in a track trap, you know, they're walking along. The shore of a river, you know, where there's uh, soft sand or something something along that line, some right, kind right. of uh, uh, some kind of surface that's going to hold that print. Um, so <laughs> if you have a track trap, if you have this surface that's going to hold a print, then how do you get one footprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, oh, I, holy jumped over the river, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you also, and, and so uh, the last whatever thing, you want to believe,
0: <laughs> the last thing you talk about is the smells and Joshua Cutchin did a whole book yeah, on yeah. paranormal smells. Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, Joshua's was the expert on paranormal smells, but all I will say is that, um, again, uh, when you talk about your poltergeist, um, for instance, the, the black monk, uh, the smell tended to, to vary depending on what kind of quote unquote mood this energy was in. Right. Um, sometimes, uh, the smell was almost sweet, and uh, I think that um, Colin Wilson actually characterized it as seductive. Um, whereas other times, you know, in other other poltergeist cases, it was downright rank. Um, and you know, I, I was often reminded of the you know the <laughs> the smell that people talk about when they they run into a Sasquatch. Sometimes where you know, they talk about how it's—it smells like a wet puppy that's been, you know, out outside for days and days, or something like that, or <laughs> yeah. you know, it's been rolling in garbage, or right, whatever. right, yeah. Um, so again, um, in poltergeist cases and more broadly in haunting cases, you know, I, I mean, how many, how many, how many haunting cases have you seen where? You know somebody was like, "Oh, well, I knew my grandfather was there because I could smell his pipe smoke. Yeah, or I knew my grandmother was there cause I could smell her perfume. Or I knew, you know my uncle Joe was there cause I could smell cigarette smoke. Um, you know, these kinds of 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 triggers, you know, are very common in paranormal cases, ghost cases, uh, you know, poltergeist cases. i um, sure there are smells probably associated. Oh, well, I mean, Joshua talks about some of the smells that are associated with UFO cases. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, you know, what, what's the one? The one that he's real uh, fond of brimstone.
0: Yeah. Sulfur <laughs> and brimstone is the most yeah, common sulfur, across the board. Sulfur,
1: bourbon, yeah, is very, very common. Mm. You know, and that's a foul smell, right? And I've heard people or I've seen people describing uh, Bigfoot uh, as having that sort of foul rotten egg smell to it. Yeah. Um, So, again, you know, you've got this cross, cross, uh, you know, weird stuff phenomena going on, but people get hung into their their silo. And they just can't uh, seem to get out of it, you know, and look at some of the other things that are going on. And part of the problem, particularly with Sasquatch researchers, is, you know, they think everybody else is just woo and they're actually chasing a live critter. Right. You know, Um, so they're they're just even more, I think, um, unlikely to buy into. I mean, it's that seems to be changing a little bit now. But uh, yeah. it seems like there's still an awful lot of flesh and blood researchers, and they're they're just not willing to look at anything outside of their, uh, you know, their material paradigm. There, well, I think they've made, made made the little jump into oh well, there's this mystery primate wandering around there, but they can't make the greater jump into oh, there's some really weird crap going on <laughs> out the woods.
0: Well, I was told after I presented the idea of the the wilderness poltergeist that. Um, and your book's forest poltergeist, by the way, not wilderness poltergeist. <laughs> um, but Josh yeah, called it the called wilderness poltergeist, and I went, yeah, that's a good name for it. So when I, when I had initially came come up with this, I think it was uh, Red Pill Junkie said, actually, Lauren Coleman mentions this in like one of his books in the '70s or something. That hey, you know, yeah. if you if this was happening at a house, it almost seemed like poltergeist activity, and then he never goes anywhere with it. Like I didn't know yeah. that. I've never no. read any of Lauren Coleman's stuff, but like. So he was someone else who made this connection, but because he was so siloed on the flesh and blood
1: idea, he never looked more into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, and, 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 you know, that happens. And it happens a lot in Sasquatch research. But, you know, yeah, a lot of these people, lake monsters too. I mean, people are are like, yeah, there's there's mysterious serpents swimming around in all the lakes in Canada, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, Canadian monsters and mysteries. I did... You know, chapters and chapters on lake monsters because they're they're from one end of the the country to the other. Um, (laughs) You know, if all of these lakes actually had these giant serpents in them, I doubt that there'd be any other kind of of fauna in there at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a very good point. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. Quick mid show break here. Um, Contact info www.wherdottheroadgo.com. That's where you'll find everything. All our links to all our social media, Discord, Facebook, what used to be Twitter, uh, even Reddit, yes, and um, YouTube, of course, and the, all the emails are there as well in the contact section, and you can uh, send your stories for your listeners' story shows in to stories at wherdottheroadgo.com. You can also check out my music show, which is uh, metal and punk and other heavy and dark music at thelastexit.org. All right, recommendation for this week. I don't think I've recommended this podcast before. I, I feel like I should have. Uh, Old Gods of Appalachia. This is a very dark, um, folklore sort of podcast. It's fiction, and it's incredibly well done. So that is my recommendation for you this week. Old Gods of Appalachia. All right, back to the show. So I'm here with Travis Watson. Talking about his book, The Forest Poltergeist. And uh, you made a list based on, uh, we talked about Meldrum's list before the break, but you made a list based on some of the stuff from Sasquatch, Canada. And the first thing you start off Mm -hmm. with is the silence, which certainly can be the sign of uh, an apex predator being in the area. Mm -hmm. But uh, it also matches up very nicely with Jenny Randall's Oz Factor
1: oh yeah i mean uh you know and again i will stress um it's very much the case that if you have uh, an apex predator which a sasquatch would certainly qualify as um given what i've learned about these critters that uh you know the sounds in the uh, in the area will tend to, uh, to to be dampened you know the cr- critters in the area go into hiding basically <laughs> um but uh, when we start to talk about the silence, what I call the silence, um, that's not anybody's official des- designation. It's kind of what I decided to call it because it's, it's, such, a, um, uh, it's such a factor in so many different cases uh, across the paranormal field. Um, it wires into um, something that Jenny Randall's dubbed the Oz Factor. Um, she was doing a, uh, Jenny Randles is a, a UFO researcher in, in Great Britain, um, in the UK. Um, she was doing an investigation um, at a, a factory where a, a security guard had had a very classic, you know, brilliant lights, you know, structured craft UFO sighting. Um, and she noticed that uh, in his description of this event um, some things, uh, were, uh, seemed seem to be sort of precursors or things that went along with, uh, the phenomena appearing to it. Um, you know, one of those, those things is, is a feeling that something is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then there's, then there's the silence, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And then there's also time distortions, uh, where, people will believe that a long period of time has passed and it was actually a short period or vice versa. Yeah. Um, And of course the, the biggest time distortion is what people call missing time now. Um, But in in this case, she talks about how there is this phenomena that, that she discovered that was very common to UFO sightings where people would talk about uh, how everything just became Quiet, And it was like uh, they suddenly had stepped into a space where all the sound was muffled, and it it became almost completely silent. Even if there were things going on around them, uh, they couldn't really hear what was happening. This silence descends. And you see this uh, a lot in in, uh, Sasquatch cases, too, where the person's walking through the woods. They have a feeling they're being watched, and then suddenly this silence descends on them. And uh, you know, there's a very definite feeling of, um, you know, I stepped out of uh, you know normal reality. Uh, You know, if if you're a Carlos Castaneda fan, one of in his books, he's uh, you know, he's uh, constantly saying things like, "Suddenly, I entered a state of non ordinary reality." Right. (laughs) You know, um, and that's very much the sensation that people have. There's the silence that descends, and they have this feeling that. You know they're not in Kansas anymore, basically. Um, and you see this a lot in uh, 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 UFO cases, as Randall's points out. But then, if you start to do your research in uh, in paranormal lore across the board, you see it in Sasquatch cases. Uh, um, I haven't noticed it so much in Dogman cases, but I'm sure that 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 happens as well. Um, you certainly see it in a lot of uh, again UFO cases um, and other. Uh, you know, we see it, too, in, in, uh, in, in the poltergeist phenomena. So, you know, um, there's, there's that other uh, – there's another one of those connections. You know, you have these Class B encounters where people are saying, you know, I was walking through the woods. I was taking a hike. Everything was great. The bluebirds were singing, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, everything went dead quiet. Yeah. And have this ever- is usually a precursor to something more happening. Um, And then you have the same thing happening in poltergeist cases where sometimes uh, the people who are, for want of a better term, victims of these kinds of hauntings uh, actually have the experience of feeling watched. They'll have that feeling of muffled sound before all hell breaks loose, basically, um, and things start moving around their house and so forth. Um, So, again, you know, you see the connection there. But you have to actually back up enough to see the connection.
0: Right. And um, have you ever had the experience before of that Oz effect? Um, let me think.
1: <laughs> I have um, in, um, well, let's see, what's the best way to explain this? <laughs> um, uh, I've had it in um, uh, magical workings. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, basically where, um, I've created sacred space and, right. uh, that effect is sort of de- descended on, on the area. Um, I've had people comment on it, um, when I've been doing work with other people that sometimes <laughs> everything gets really quiet. Um, and you can't hear anything until after you, you break out of that, uh, yeah. break out of that sacred space. You take that sacred space down. Um, <laughs> which which
0: suggests that it could also be an altering of consciousness that creates that mm-hmm. that sort of thing and which would also go along with being able to generate more energy for something to to work with.
1: Yes. Yeah, I have to wonder if it doesn't have something to do with your brainwave state. Yeah. You know, if it's not a sudden shift of your brainwaves into another uh, another level of consciousness, you know, because we wander around, we're all beta most of the time and we're thinking and we're doing it and we're doing all this stuff. And, you know, even if you sit down and, uh, you know, you're daydreaming about your favorite um, TV show or something that alters your brain state. Right. You know? Right. Now let's suppose that you're walking along, you're out in the woods, la la la, the bluebirds are singing and everything is happy and da, 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 da. And suddenly you enter, oh, this is another, place where i've seen the silence i'll talk about that in a minute um and suddenly you enter you know an energetic area of some kind and your brainwaves shift you know say you drop into an alpha bordering on theta state that would tend to put you into what i think of it as the silence because your mind is suddenly gone oh wait there's something i need to pay attention to thunk that is not external; it's internal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's entirely possible. The other time that I've experienced the silence, I, I sometimes I have to talk about things before I remember. Sure. Them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, I lived in Arizona for over a decade, and uh, I spent uh, a good bit of time hiking there. And I had occasion to hike in the Superstition Mountains, which is Mm. one of those areas of high strangeness. Uh, In the the Apache uh, lore, it was the home of the the Inaheen, their their thunder gods. Um, And there are places in in the Superstition Mountains you probably just don't want to go. I was out uh, walking one of the regular trails. I was actually on a trail. Um, so I wasn't like bushwhacking or anything, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I got off the beaten trail a little bit and I wandered into a a Canyon and I took about two steps into this Canyon. And suddenly it's in my perception, it got darker and I had that experience of the silence around me. And I also had a very definite experience that I wasn't welcome there. Right now. Unlike some do fly, um, I said, okay, thank you very much for letting me know. And I took two steps backwards <laughs> and I turned around and I walked away from that area. And as soon as I got out of the Canyon, everything went back to normal. Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, if I had, you know, pushed my way into that area, I rather suspect that I would have had a very frightening experience.
0: Maybe, um, or, or maybe it just would have gotten more intense and then just gone away because that's that's what's happened when I've done know, that possibly. stuff. I mean, it's hard to yeah, know.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, I I was like walking along, and you know, when when I have an experience like that, I take it as a as a sign to to sure. say, okay, well, maybe this is not the best place for me to be <laughs> because this energy is not harmonic with my energy, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm welcome. Yeah. You know, um, um but yeah, so I have had that experience. Um you know, it just I, took me a minute to remember yeah, that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've had it quite a bit, but I'll maybe we'll, I'll talk about that if we do a Patreon cuz I'd like to get your okay. ta- your thoughts on maybe some of that. Um so sure. in, in your list you then include sounds of movement in the brush, which again is something you would expect an animal to to make, but sure. is totally something a poltergeist can do cuz they'll make sounds it's like in the walls absolutely. and stuff.
1: Yeah, they'll make sounds in the walls. You'll hear footsteps. You'll hear things clomping up and down the stairs. Um, you know, I mean, they're cla- it's one of the classic signs of poltergeist slash haunting activity. Um, you know, so if you take that, you translate it outdoors. What's going to happen when that force is, is wandering around the woods? It's going to make bipedal footsteps. It's going to have branches breaking. You're going to have all this stuff going on that would indicate to you that there was something in the woods with you.
0: Yeah. And then you have heavy, supposedly bipedal footsteps, which again, yeah.
1: poltergeists definitely
0: do footsteps.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Just harking back to what I just said, it's just it's just a classic sign of poltergeist activity. You know, yeah. uh, how many times have you heard about uh, you know haunting where you know one of the signs was somebody clomping up and down the stairs? I mean, it's just it, it's a classic, classic paranormal thing. And you know, if people. On that side, on the Sasquatch side of things, we're looking at, you know, these paranormal phenomena, they'd see that. But, um, you know, of course, it has to be a physical creature because they're not ready for that yet, I guess. Right,
0: right. And then the last thing, of course, is structures and nests, as well as suspension of items and trees.
1: Now, the... The interesting thing about this is, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's actually seen a Sasquatch making these things. First of all, Um, secondly, when we go to, you know, and one of the reasons that people say, "Oh, well, it must be Sasquatch," is because these things tend to happen in area where people areas where people have seen these creatures, right? You know, take that for what you want. Um, But if you flip over into your poltergeist lore again, um, you have a being that is interested in altering its environment. Okay. So, um, instead of, uh, you know, making tree structures in a house, um, I, rec- I, re- uh, I talk about one case, one poltergeist case where, um, uh, the people would come home and they would find that this, this energy had, uh, set up these tableau, um, uh, in the room. So they'd find, uh, you know, like a, a dressmaker's dummy and it'd have clothes on and yeah. have the stockings laid out and there'd be the shoes and, you know, it'd have its hands crossed in prayer because the guy that was being haunted was a reverend. Right. Um, so there's one good example, um, in the, uh, the Olive Hill poltergeist case that I talk about in the book, um, William Roll, who's one of the, you know, one of the, the uh, the big shot parapsychology people, um uh, Lloyd Auerbach was the guy I was trying to remember. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, who was the, the psychic temper tantrum? Yes. Um, so William Roll was investigating this Olive Hill case, and um, he was following the focus of this particular haunting into uh, the kitchen. And as this young man approached uh, the kitchen sink, I think he was washing his hands or getting a drink or something, Roll saw the dining room table, Basically, levitate, flip itself up, and then set itself carefully down so that it was sitting on top of the dining room chairs. Yeah. So again, it was making a structure, right? It was making a structure. Um, you know, you see that sort of behavior in polder guys all the time. They're all all the time altering their environment, sometimes by destroying things. Yeah. Uh, which seems to be their their favorite thing to do. But, but uh, you know, the case of of Diane, the young lady in in the Black Monk case, who. Is going up the stairs, and a poltergeist is piling furniture on her. Yeah. Now, interestingly, she was not injured in the least, but they couldn't get this stuff off of her until she relaxed a little bit, stopped panicking, and then yeah. suddenly they were able to lift the furniture off of her. So you have to think that that uh, that that her energy had something to do with this poltergeist. Well, and that's that's um, one of the but,
0: things. You know, That's one of the things I I suspect is that when you approach this stuff from a point of fear, you're, you're feeding fear into that energy and that's what you're getting. You're getting back something scary.
1: Um, You're literally feeding the energy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, and, but you know, my point though is that in, in all of these different incidents, the poltergeist is interested that this energy, whatever it is, is interested in changing it and altering its environment to suit it. Um, yeah. You know, it'll move things to other locations, you know, just because. And sometimes it, it does things just for the sheer cussedness of it. Uh, in the in the, uh, I, I think it was the Enfield case. Um, don't quote me. Um, they had no. It was the Black Monk case again. Um, they had a, a a problem with the eggs. Yes. Um,
0: that was black. Monk. Coming
1: out of the refrigerator. Yeah. The eggs coming out of the refrigerator and exploding, basically. Yeah. But instead of smelling like eggs, they exploded into these pleasant smelling bombs, basically. Um the mom got so tired of this that she actually took the eggs out of the refrigerator, uh, put them on the floor, put a crate on top of the eggs, and sat on it. And there were still <laughs> eggs appearing and <laughs> blowing up, uh, which is a classic example of what they call an um, Yes where uh, things appear and disappear, Uh, and this is something that poltergeists are famous for, and something that could account for some of the weirdness that goes on around some of these Class B encounters, too. Those stones that are being thrown may not necessarily be being picked up and thrown from the forest. They may just be appearing and dropping out of the sky, Yeah, Uh, because this, again, happens in poltergeist cases. Um, where, you know, if there isn't a stone available, the poltergeist apparently grabs one from somewhere else and drops it on you.
0: Yep. yep. Um, or makes stuff disappear
1: or makes stuff that, yeah. I mean, how many haunting cases have you seen where somebody said the first thing they realized that there was something weird going on is they kept losing their keys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because the keys would disappear and then, you know, two hours later they would reappear. And for you, no apparent reason, you know, I have this happen to me all the time.
0: You, know? <laughs> you note that, uh, in instances where objects of poltergeist incursion do strike someone when they usually don't, mm-hmm. uh, they don't seem to they actually cause don't. serious harm. I mean, aside from that Lego, which really wasn't serious harm. Aside
1: from that one. Yeah. It wasn't serious harm, but it certainly got his attention. Yeah. Um, and William but, roll got it, got, you know attended to as well uh, telling somebody at a poltergeist case that oh well these things never hit people and so uh the poltergeist picked something up and hit him with it <laughs> now it did hurt him um didn't you know didn't affect him at all but yeah uh, given the velocity that these things are traveling at through the house a lot of times you would think that people would be seriously injured. Um, but, uh, you know, again, Black Monk case, um, I quote that one a lot because yeah, it's a good it, one. it is, it's like the mother, it's like one of the mothers of all poltergeist cases. Yeah. That and then everybody, uh, yeah, that one in Enfield. everybody knows Enfield, So I thought I'd go with one that was a little less known. Um, but in the, in the, the, the Black Monk case, um, you know, there are any number of of cases where uh, you know things were flying around and at rapid rates, but uh, a couple of occasions that Diane again one of the focuses for this activity got hit. so it was just like being tapped yeah the thing would, would just speed at them and then just you know basically drop yeah after touching them. And, and that's, um, again, so, you don't
0: see people getting hit by the rock stone thrown by Bigfoot either.
1: Thrown by by Sasquatch. Exactly. You know, it was, it, it, I, I can't think of, uh, I'm sure that somebody can make a liar of me uh, on this one, but I can't think of a Sasquatch case where uh, there was stone throwing involved where somebody's actually gotten hit. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's happened, but um, I can't think of one off the top of my head and I've read a lot
0: of bigfoot <laughs> reports. Um, so again, that's another similarity. Um, we're we're almost out of time. I want to let let's cover one more case you bring up in the book. Okay, um, and this is the one at thirty-seven Westcott Street that happened. Uh, let's see. That's in the UK. Yeah, it's in the UK, and you. So in the late 1980s, the address is the site of the Angelian Windows Company. And the first sign mm-hmm. of something strange happening in the building occurred during a business meeting where no less than eight witnesses noticed the carpet rise up on its own in the <laughs> corner of the room. Unable to explain what they had seen, the witnesses igno- decided to ignore the event and make a joke of it. Do you remember the rest of this one?
1: Yeah, and this and this is one. Yeah, and this is one of the cases that just cracked me up because, you know, other than one young lady who. Um, uh, actually, her sister came to pick her up one night, and they had an apparition experience, and she refused to come back to the She quit that night and never right. came back. Other than that person, almost everybody involved in this case viewed the poltergeist as, as an irritation. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like they would see carpet rise up in the room, and they'd be like, no, nah, we didn't see that really. It's okay. We'll we'll just ignore it and hope it goes away. Um, the the, uh, the the office manager in this in this building got locked in the bathroom once um, and was really more upset by the fact that the poltergeist was keeping her from work than she was by the fact that there was this weird thing running around locking doors in there in this room. Um, there's uh, you know, so there are several different uh, outbreak type of, of events in this in this case. One of the one of the big ones, though, um, of a uh, a fellow who owned a coffee shop nearby um, heard a crash come from this this building, and he ran over there. Um, he and the office manager went upstairs. It's another example of a poltergeist being able to move a heavy object. Um, they went into a a room that was locked it hadn't been locked before. So something had locked the door and then moved a, uh, uh, I believe it was a wardrobe uh, across the room with enough force to where it actually hit and broke a window. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, again, the thing that strikes me about this case is how, how atypical people's responses were were to this poltergeist. You know, I mean, basically the office manager's like, okay, we'll fix the window, whatever.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like, you have this bizarre event happen, and they're just like, "Okay, whatever." Um, this is really starting to piss me off, and it's costing me money now. Uh, but uh, so, and this fellow who ran the coffee shop decided, for whatever reason, that it would be a great Halloween thing, Halloween fundraiser thing, to actually have a radio station come in and spend the night in this location. Yeah, uh, with subsequent event activity happening during that, Uh, you know, nobody got hurt, but you know, the, the radio people set up all of their microphones and stuff in a room and then they came back later and all their stuff was discombobulated. Right. Yeah. Um, and there were thumpings and bumpings and footsteps and all the kinds of fun, classic poltergeist things that you run into. Um, so that, uh, it it really was, uh, you know, it, it was an active case for, for a period of time, but for some reason people's response to it seemed to be very atypical there wasn't the the the, the terror that you find in a lot of poltergeist cases i mean yeah yeah think about it i mean if if you had something wandering around your house throwing things around and cr- crushing your crockery and apporting your eggs and dropping stones on you and stuff you know that that would probably be pretty fear inducing for a lot of people um, in this one they know, had I, a medium pull out the,
0: in this one they had a medium come in and oh, yeah, tell the spirit basically to leave, and then things got worse, which is traditionally yeah. what happens.
1: This is a very typical thing to happen in poltergeist cases. This is one of those the the types of phenomena that I point to where you know you got all these people running around. it's demons, it's demons, you know, the power of God, <laughs> you know and casting holy water and all that crap, right? If you do that to a poltergeist, you're going to be in serious trouble. Um, in all of the cases that I saw, any attempt to throw the poltergeist out of the house resulted in increased activity. Yeah. Um, in the black monk case, they actually had somebody come in and try to exercise the spirit. Um <laughs> And the only result of this was that the the spirit developed a very anti-Christian sentiment, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and started doing things like spray painting upside down crosses on the wall, and uh, you know on Easter Sunday. Well, it was it was um, it was and,
0: behaving uh, to expectation.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, and 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 you know, turning. Uh, Religious artifacts upside down, all, yeah. that, all that sort of thing. You know, it was behaving again according to an expectation. Um, you know, so I, I, one of the things that I tell people in my books, and you know, anybody that's that's you know a ghost hunter type person that, that talks to me, you know, I'm always telling people you need to know what you're dealing with. If you don't know what you're dealing with. You need to be very careful about what you do. Yeah. You can't just assume that everything is a demon, for instance, because you know some of the steps that you might take to, you know, remove or or, or banish a demon are things that are going to piss other kinds of spirits off. <laughs> or they're just <laughs> or they're plain just plain trying to appease
0: you. They're like, "Oh, you want a yeah, yeah. demon? I can be
1: a demon." <laughs> sure. Here you go. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean that that happens too. Yes. But, I mean, one of the the funny things to me about the poltergeist phenomena is that, you know, if you do, you know, try to get rid of this thing, a lot of times it will come back that much stronger. It might actually go away for a couple of days, but I think it's kind of gathering strength. Yeah. <laughs> and then it comes back with a vengeance. All
0: right. We're, we're out of time. Uh, but tell people. Okay. So the book is called Forest Poltergeist.
1: Yeah, it's called The Forest Poltergeist. And you
0: write uh, under, um, under you W.T. Know, Watson.
1: And I write under W.T. Watson. Yeah, the book's available on Amazon. It's on Kindle. It's on. Uh, it's available as a paperback. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read the book. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, I, I get page turns for that, too. I, I appreciate anything that people do. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's called The Forest Poltergeist uh, I think it's the subtitle is Class B Encounters in the Paranormal or something like that. Yeah. Um, It's got a a really cool uh, cover that's uh, kind of modeled after my Mysteries in the Mist cover. Um, So I was pretty happy with that.
0: And also available, you have Mysteries in the Mist and what else?
1: Oh, golly. Let's see. So I have Phantom Black Dogs, Walkers of the Liminal Way, which is about the Phantom Black Dog apparition and its various appearances throughout the UK and then in North America and South America. Um, There's Mysteries in the Mist, which is my my book on mist, fog and clouds in the paranormal, uh, where you'll get a taste of everything that you're interested in, whether it's UFOs or cryptids or whatever, lake monsters, you name it. It's Probably in that book somewhere. Um, Canadian Monsters and Mysteries, which was a book that I wrote when I first moved to Canada uh, when I was wondering, well, what kind of weird stuff happens in my new homeland? Um, <laughs> lots of, of stuff. Again, everything from cryptids to UFOs. Lots of lake monster stuff in that one because there's lots of lake monster stories here. And there's giant beavers in that book. Yeah, read this book. Because there are giant beavers. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite stories from Canada. Yes. Uh, and, of course, there's Sasquatch Canada, uh, which is my, uh, my look at uh, Sasquatch lore in Canada outside of British Columbia, which is like, you know, Sasquatch Central. I wanted to see if there were... Sasquatch reports in the other Canadian provinces and indeed there are there are quite a number of them and some of them are pretty weird Uh, there's a section in in the book called uh, Stranger Things um, which uh, actually details some of the odd sightings and now the newest one is the forest poltergeist which is the one we've been talking about
0: and I'm going to have to have you back because there's still a bunch of stuff out of this book I want to talk about (laughs) So
1: all right, thank you. Alrighty. We, we get to talk about we get to talk about spirits next time, huh? Alright.
0: <laughs> I want to take a moment here to give a shout out to all of my Patreons because without you this show would not be possible. And a special shout out to those of you pledging ten dollars or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Stephen St. George, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Midnight Review presents Christine. A blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, J. J. Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, M J M.J. Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Perry Peters, Philosopher of Mirrors. Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Verosh K, Vincent Triwell, Will Gebhardt, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very much. All right, there's a Patreon segment to go along with this show as well. Uh, Travis will be back next week. And uh, I want to give a special shout-out to some new uh, Patreons. Daniel Rivera, Nicholas Underwood, Alex Kersonis, And I also want to throw a special, an extra special thank thank you to Carl Patanziri. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's the best I could do uh, for a very generous donation as well as Ann Witowski um for an extremely generous donation as well. And you can donate to the show at where to the com if you want to. Um, I always appreciate it. My Amazon wish list is up there too. And of course, if you want to become a patron, you can also do that at where the roadgo dot com. Only three dollars a month gets you extra content almost every week and the show a week early. All right, to take you out. I am gonna go with uh Something in the spirit of the time. A Christmas song. Not a normal Christmas song, don't worry. There's nothing normal about this Christmas song whatsoever. Uh, I may have done this last year, I don't remember. But this is from Worm Quartet, who is a comedy musician I am good friends with out of Rochester, New York. Off his Songs of the Maniacs album from 2012, this is a Worm Quartet Christmas. And it's ridiculous. And he has a new Christmas song up on their uh, comedy music project site The Fump F-U-M-P that you can check out for free with all kinds of comedy musicians on it and uh, yeah he has a new Christmas song as well but this one's kind of a classic at this point so this is what I'm going to leave you with since we're in that time A Worm Quartet Christmas and I'll see you next time
2: Okay kids settle down it's story time
0: I said settle down
2: That's better Twas the night before Pope Stink, and all through the goat, the croutons were twirling like tits on a boat. The scarves of young bellhops were basted in phlegm in the hopes that Tom Brokaw would grow on a stem. The milkman was throbbing and glaring at clamps, while erstwhile gophers molested his lamps, and I and my carrot that made me lick spheres were spanking a nun underwater at Sears. When out in the beef hole a Frenchman was squirted, and clanged with such force that my nipples inverted, with ponies and catheters chained to my nose, I neutered a biscuit and swallowed my clothes. The clams of my waitress demanded more towels, as poodle-clad jockeys read porn scripts to owls. No,
0: <laughs>
2: and there, on the perfectly boneless horizon, a vomiting duck made me switch to Verizon. The voice of my thermostat cut through the night like a fat Presbyterian licking a kite. I promised me hampers of mayonnaise and sorrow, and Aww. belched like a barnacle baptized by Charo. On kiwis, on forklifts, on poultry and nipples, on youpers! on poopers, on commies and cripples, to the nostril of glee, to the concubine planet, now marmaduke, 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 damn it! As elk flavored media gargled in pain like a murderous thermos of pork in the rain, then the constable pudding that lived in my basement burst forth manifestos on bovine replacement. And then, like the screech of a bucket of toast, when a rectal kaleidoscope comes in the post. A warm feathered hat made of anger and meat threw a cat through my face and glued fame to my feet. The porcelain lullabies bled through the cheese as fiberglass embryos marched by in threes. Gelatinous oven mitts nibbled my back like toenails and mayonnaise mixed in a sack. Bouquets of gay trapezoids buttered a cop, while Spaniards and circuitry bred in a mop. And a thunderous anthem of blackheads in June destroyed mice with a Q-tip that pooped in your spoon. As pompadour polishers piddled a prayer and sodomy nuggets sewed poems to a bear, electric aristocrats rendered in fleece all the vestibule-wrestling pogo police. With a cuddly anvil held tight to my butt, I deflated a taco and called it a slut. The parmesan poodle clock puckered in pain, like a puddle-clad henwipe ingesting a train. Testicular tomahawks burned through the beans as the omelette capacitors strangled their spleens, because spaying a turnip may tickle a tank, but the sex you can bake is the milk you can spank. A barnacle cocktail ate birds in a maze as the diaper repairman prescribed Dijonais, but I heard him exclaim, as he gargled his arm, I farm where I romp, and I romp where I farm! Merry Christmas.
0: You have been listening to Where Did The Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons. And we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go? related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com And thank you so much for your support.